0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 18. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. In the Old Testament, Joel talks about this location. He says, I'm going to gather. The Lord says, I'll gather all the nations and bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. I'll come up to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I will sit there to judge multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the Valley of Decision. He's talking about this location, the Valley of Decision. And really each and every single one of us is in a valley of decision because we too have to decide, is this real? Was this true? This happened 2000 years ago. Is this really for us? We have to say, was this Messiah? We're also in the valley of decision and he's come to save us, not condemn us. And he's given us his word and his word is true. And that's why we're studying his word so that we know it. He'll never lie to us and that we can decide through his word, is he telling the truth? He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of what? Truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) He is truth. And he wants us to know him in a deep personal way. So also the prophet Zechariah foresaw Messiah is coming into the world. And he said, on that day, the Lord's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lie before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Now, there is the eastern gate of Jerusalem's old city. Above this Mount of Olives, you see the gate. There's two. They're sealed shut now at this time in history. But Zechariah predicted that the Messiah will arrive on the Mount of Olives, and he will enter through the eastern gate. So the eastern gate is really important. The Jews call it the Golden Gate or the Gate of Mercy, and they say that the Shekinah glory will appear here when Messiah comes. The Arabic name, the Muslim name for these two doors are the Gate of Repentance and the Gate of Mercy. Interesting, but that eastern gate was closed by the Muslims in 810 AD. They sealed it shut. It gets reopened in 1102 by the Christian crusaders. It gets walled up again by Saladin after regaining Jerusalem in 1187, and then Ottoman sultan Suleiman the Magnificent uh, sealed it up again, walled it up in 1541, and it has stayed that way ever since. Now, according to Jewish tradition, and I found this painting, and that's Joachim and Anna, and Anna is telling St. Joachim a secret. Those are Mary's parents. And she's telling him a secret, but this is the Eastern Gate. This is the Mercy Gate. This is where they believe that the Shekinah glory, the Divine Presence, will come back one day. And she's telling him a secret at that location. Now, you remember, the ark isn't even there in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, right? Because Jeremiah hid the ark. We always say this. But Jeremiah... ...tells us that that place is going to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Now, anytime the ark was present, we saw the Shekinah glory. That's what led them through the desert. Now, in Christian apocryphal texts, the Eastern Gate was the scene of the meeting between Mary and her the parents of Mary after the Annunciation. And her mother had a big secret. And maybe she heard from Elizabeth, her sister, because Mary had spent time. But she is telling her husband that the Eastern Gate, this gate, is going to become a symbol of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ through Mary. Now, you'll remember... Ezekiel, we studied last year, and he talked all about this new temple, this new temple. And Jesus in John's Gospels already told us, I'm the temple. (laughs) Destroy that temple and I'll rebuild it in three days because my body's a temple. They didn't get it until after the Holy Spirit enlightened them. But... That sealed gate that Ezekiel talked about, that closed gate, the early church thought was Mary because she's a virgin. Her gate is sealed. And it says in Ezekiel 44, he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut. It shall not be open. No one shall enter by it. No one. For the Lord, the God of Israel has entered by it and it will remain shut. So her perpetual virginity is intact. She is a closed gate, and she's the east gate where the Shekinah glory will appear because she is the ark, and the mercy seat's going to be on top of her, and all the contents of the mercy seat is Jesus Christ inside her. And they are meeting at the golden gate, and St. Anne had a very big secret to share with St. Joachim. They together mary was immaculately conceived in their marriage so this eastern mercy gate was a standard subject in cycles depicting the life of the virgin mary to the early church in oral early tradition this is where shekinah glory would appear and shekinah glory was always with the ark of the covenant where the true presence of god was and if the shekinah glory is appearing at the eastern gate what's that mean What's that mean? What's going to be in nine months? This place is going to remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Then he will disclose these things and the glory of the Lord. The cloud will appear just like in the case of Moses. So do you see what I'm saying? The Shekinah glory was back in the temple after this Annunciation scene at the East Gate. Nine months later, Mary and Joseph come in and they have the divine presence. They have the glory of the Lord himself and Simeon knows it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, now I can die. I've seen glory. I've seen salvation. Anna, 84-year-old woman, has been waiting every day. By the power of the Holy Spirit, she comes running in the temple and she goes, it I, I, is here, glory, Messiah. She knew. She knew it had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that Simeon won't die until he's seen Messiah with his own eyes. And he's guided by the Spirit into the temple of that day. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Glory for your people, Israel." Jesus lived 33 years that's the divine number twice at age 33 guess which gate he rode through on Palm Sunday the divine present there's 12 gates around the temple which one did he ride into just take a guess oh I don't know I'm looking this up which gate did Jesus if this if this works yes he rode into the East gate the gate of mercy the golden gate. And Jewish tradition states that this gate, when Messiah comes, Shekinah glory will be back. And he was. So, you know the Ottoman Turk who who, uh, sealed off the golden gate in the 1100s to prevent, he did that. They sealed that gate with stone to prevent Messiah oh we'll get the Jews and, and the Christians he'll never be able to enter here if we seal this gate and, and just to be sure let's build a cemetery right in front of it because you know so they build an Islam cemetery right in front of the eastern gate why? because they know Elijah must come first and Elijah is from the house of Aaron and Aaron's a priestly family and priests can't beat they can't touch the dead so if we put a cemetery there then Elijah can't come first and then Messiah can't come ha 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 gotcha But we say, ha 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 ha, because it already happened. He already did come. See? We know he came. Jesus said, Elijah has come. If those half years ago, it's John the Baptist. So in the New Testament, this is a very, very, very important place. It's a prominent part of the Lord's last week. He's coming from the east. Remember, he's raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. Then he goes through Bethphage, and then the Mount of Olives. And on the night of his betrayal, he'll sing a hymn. They'll go out into the garden in the Mount of Olives. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Olive Tree. And this is where he will be betrayed as a son of David, as David was betrayed and delivered into the hands of his enemies. Now. Now, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he also knew this place. And because Jesus often met there with his disciples, Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests, the Pharisees. They came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Did you catch that? A detachment of soldiers. The Dewey Rhyme says a band of soldiers, but my favorite is the New American Standard Bible, which says Judas received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. A Roman cohort is at least 500 soldiers. So we don't get that when we read through it fast, but 500 soldiers came in John's account to arrest Jesus, 500 Roman soldiers, a cohort. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, came forward and said, Whom are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. Did you catch that? There was no kiss by Judas. John's the only gospel that doesn't have a Judas kiss. He takes command, Jesus Christ. He doesn't need Judas to betray him. He answers, Who are you? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Three words. The divine number. The three most powerful words in right now. Because he says, I am he. And what happens? You might not have caught this either. But he says, I am he. And they step back and fall to the ground. 500 Roman soldiers are blown away by three little words. I am he. Amazing. I am he. That's the eighth I am, right? Better than perfect. Perfect. He says, I am he, I am he twice. Peter will say, I am not, I am not, twice. You might not have caught that counterbalance between the two if you didn't read it in flow. They answered, He Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Again he asked, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you, I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. He did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. He didn't lose Judas. Judas left in freedom and he allowed that. And he goes through a lot of fulfillments of prophecy here. And I'm not going to read them all, but he, he'll say this was to fulfill the word spoken by Isaiah. This was to fulfill the scripture. John 15, this was to fulfill the word that was written. This was to fulfill for the scripture to be fulfilled. And tonight in this chapter, they say, Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. So if you're looking for me, let these guys go. This was to fulfill the word he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of them who you gave me. And that does fulfill Isaiah thirty four sixteen. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. Now, the Lord said through Zechariah, and I love this, and you might not know this story, but it's in Zechariah 11. We'll hear a lot of Zechariah echoed in John. But the Lord said, on behalf of the sheep merchants, I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. I took two staffs. One, I named Favor. The other I named Unity, and I tended the sheep. In one month, I disposed of the three shepherds, for I had become impatient with them, and they also detested me. Well, the Pharisees hated him, the scribes hated him, the chief priests hated him. I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant. The old covenant's going to get annulled in the crucifixion. It was annulled on that day, and the sheep merchants who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said to them, if it seems right to you, then give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed out my wages. Guess how much? 30 shekels of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it into the treasury, this lordly price at which I was valued by them. They value my life at 30 pieces of silver. I'm God of the universe. They value my life at 30 pieces of silver. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them into the treasury in the house of the Lord, and I broke my second staff called Unity, annulling the family ties between Judah and Israel. Now, we know that Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He goes back to the chief priests and elders, and he says, see to this yourself. And he throws down the 30 pieces of silver and departs and goes and hangs himself. In Zechariah 12 and 13, we get a powerful oracle of victory. I'll just read a few of the lines and see if this makes sense for this night. They will look on the one whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. And on that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. That's Tel Megiddo. That's Armageddon. That's where little King Josiah lost his life. On that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Yes, a fountain was opened in the new temple that day that Ezekiel also predicted, a fountain of mercy. A fountain of love. And then he ends it by saying, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That also happened in Matthew's gospel. We're told this very night you will fall, Jesus told his apostles. It is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be dispersed. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So the apostles all scattered that night, except for John, who stayed with Mary at the foot of the cross. But they deserted Jesus. They hid in the valley of Hinnan, which is located next to the Kidron Valley. They hid there for fear of their lives. Simon Peter had a sword, he drew it. He struck the high priest's slave. He cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said, "Put your sword back into his sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me?" Peter means well, but he's always getting in the way of the Father's plan. Remember when he when Jesus said, "Get thee behind me, Satan!" I gotta go through with this. Oh no no no, Lord! I won't let anyone hurt you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Put the sword away. All four Gospels tell us that Peter cut off the ear. They don't all name him as Malchus. John does. Luke's account says no more of this. And Luke tells us that Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him. Leave it to Luke, the physician, to put that detail in. The soldiers now, their officer and the Jewish police, arrest Jesus and bound him. Can you imagine binding the God of the universe? Who binds God? Solomon built a grand temple and said, how can I put the God of the universe in a a building, in a temple? But they bound God that night, arrested God, and took him. Now, Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he could have stopped it. In Matthew's gospel, we're told, do you not think that I could appeal to my father? And at once, he would send me 12 legions of angels. One legion is 6,000, 12 would have been 72,000 angels at his immediate disposal. All he has to do is say, Dad. Isaiah 37, 36 tells us that a single angel obliterated 185,000 men in one night. So think of 72,000 angels, the strength they would have had. They took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Now, why are there two high priests? There's never two high priests. There's only one high priest of Israel. That would be like having two popes. That's not done. What's going on? Caiaphas has already said in prophetic office of high priest, don't you understand that it's better for one man to die? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Caiaphas, right on. He's in the office of the high priest and that is thick irony right, John, but that is a prophecy. It will be much better for one man to die. For all of us. If one man died, then have a whole nation destroyed. Yeah, that'll be a lot better. But there are two high priests this year. Luke also confirms that during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word came to John the Baptist. What's going on? This is Iudia, the Latin name for Judah. Judah was a southern kingdom, but when Rome conquered and became the Roman Empire, they made this a province. It was called Judea or Iudia in Latin. And Valerius Gratus was the Roman prefect right Before Pontius Pilate, and he was famous. For just changing the high priest at his whim—that's not how it's done, sir. We're Jewish, and this is a long line of—and and, no, he, I want this one. I want that one. I want this one. Oh, I don't like you. You're gone. Two, two years. Yeah, that's enough for you. I need a new high priest. And he, the Roman prefect, was assigning the high priest. So they were in cahoots with Rome. It's that iron and clay feet. They were together, and so Annas should have been the high priest. He was the father. He had five sons. Caiaphas is his son-in-law, and the Roman prefect has put. Caiaphas. Caiaphas in charge. Caiaphas will plot to kill Jesus. Caiaphas will charge him with blasphemy, tear open his robes. Caiaphas will send him to Pontius Pilate, and he would like the death sentence to be carried out. And so we have Judas standing there with him tonight. Judas, his own, who betrayed him. There is no kiss of betrayal, but in all the other Gospels there is, and we know it as a Judas kiss. And in Matthew's gospel, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And that was the sign. Greetings, Rabbi, in John's gospel, and he kissed him. And that was the sign. In Luke's gospel, Judas, Jesus says, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the son of man? Judas in, in Luke's gospel. But in John's gospel, there's no mention of any kiss. John won't give it that credence. John's already told us that he's a thief. And John, I'm sure, could not have been a fan of his Lord being betrayed. I like this quote. The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. The saddest thing about betrayal, it never comes from your enemies. It always comes from someone you loved, you trusted, you thought they loved you. And that's why betrayal is so, so, so hard. It comes from someone you're in close relationship with. Here's another quote. Stab the body and it heals, but injure the heart and the wound lasts a lifetime. Betrayal is very, very, very hard to forget. And if you've ever been betrayed by someone you loved, uh, it is extremely hard to forget. And I was praying about this this week and I asked the Lord, are we supposed to forget it? And we're supposed to forgive we're supposed to forgive in Christ, and it's going to take time. It might take years and years, but we're called to forgive, but we don't have to forget. And how did I know that? Because I went to Mass, and the, the prayer, the Eucharistic prayer tells us every time, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Did you ever notice that? On the night he was betrayed. Every single time, the hour of glorification, all around the world, they're saying, on the night he was betrayed, reminding us of the betrayal not making us forget it. Our Lord was betrayed. Never, ever, ever forget that. So we don't do that to him. And he forgave. Jesus Christ forgave immediately that very night. What if I was betrayed on the night that you were betrayed and you found out that someone betrayed you and someone was unfaithful to you? Were you ready to immediately say, no problem, that's okay. No, It might take months, it might take years to forgive a deep, 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 deep betrayal. But Jesus forgave that very night for all of us who he didn't even know yet. While we were still sinners, he came. He forgives that night and gives himself in that outpouring of love that he becomes a slave for us. (laughs) So betrayal is a lot different than denial, Judas betrays, Peter denies. Simon, Peter, and another disciple followed Jesus, and that disciple was known to the high priest, so he went in with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was still standing outside the gate, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. And the woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. And now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing around at warming themselves. And Peter was standing with them, warming himself. And the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogue, in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they asked him, are you not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, a relative, of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a cock crowed. <laughs> Wake up, some of y'all. I see you out there. You needed a cock crow about now. Can you imagine when that cock crowed? How Peter must have felt, because Jesus told him before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times, and then the, the, he hears it, and just, ah. Oh, oh, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Oh, Remember the charcoal fire. We will be talking about it in John 21. He's standing there by a charcoal fire, denying him three times, and right then Jesus walks by. This painting, I love it. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter can't look at him. This gaze of love, this gaze of mercy, and Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. To take Jesus from Caiaphas's house to Pilate's headquarters, it's early in the morning. Now the chief priests, what are they doing? Well, they themselves did not enter the headquarters as to avoid the ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. Here they are trying to kill an innocent man, trying to kill Messiah, trying to kill God who's fulfilled every prophecy of the Old Testament, but they don't want to dirty their hands for Passover. It's just so much hypocrisy. Pilate went out and said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said to them, well, take him yourself and judge him according to your own law. And the Jews said, well, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. So they want to kill this man. (laughs) This is to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. And Pilate entered the headquarters. He can't contaminate. They can't contaminate Passover. They can't go in. Pilate has to come out to them. He comes back out and says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or have others told you this about me? And Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate asked him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this, I was born. This is why Jesus Christ was born. For this, I was born. And for this, I came into the world. Why? To testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? What is truth? I ask each one of you, what is truth? Because here you're seeking it. You're here seeking it. What is truth? What is truth? Why do you sit here week after week after week after week after week, you people? What is truth? Hmm. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. You have a custom that I release someone for you at Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And they shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a bandit, an insurrectionist, a thief, a murderer. That's who they want. Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas in Hebrew means son of the father. Do you want son of the father, little s, son of the father, or son of the father, capital S, the son of the father? We want Barabbas. The murderer, the insurrectionist, the rebel, not the son of God. He's not our Messiah. Not my Jesus. Not my truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You tell us to knock and you'll open the door. You tell us to seek and we will find. We are seeking you. We are seeking truth. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 18, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.